to the Word. If you would get your Bibles, open Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4 is where we're going to read from today. And I want to do, I want to continue on a message that I began last week from the book of Esther uh, titled uh, Beyond the Surface. And let me see if I can find my notes here. Yeah. And Esther really paints an awesome picture. It's, it's, uh, it's not just a history book. In fact, realize this. This is not a, Esther is not a fairy tale or, or some kind of, um, uh, what did Jesus teach in? Parables. Uh, parable or something. It's, it's a true story that establishes history. In fact, it's the it's main reason why to this day the people of uh, the Jewish community has the uh, holiday of Purim. Uh, Purim is uh, the word itself comes, was, uh, takes its meaning from the book of Esther. It's a, it's a word that is maybe loosely translated to a die, so like casting off of lots. And, and what it represents is a time where there was a date set for the people of uh, the Jewish people uh, to, be, to, be, to be destroyed. It's basically an ancient equivalent, if you would, of, of what happened in World War II when the Nazi uh, regime really um, uh, conducted the massacre uh, and got six million Jews to be killed on that day. This was an equivalent 400 years before Christ came of the same thing that did not succeed. It was, thankfully, intercepted, and, and, and there was a turning, and Esther played a role in it. I'm reading today out of Esther chapter, chapter 4. There's a man called Haman, for, for newest that maybe want to catch on, because we're picking it up in the middle of the story. Um, a man named Haman had conspired to do the same thing as happened um, uh, during the Holocaust. And, uh, and, and, and basically, here... He is celebrating and, and, and has in very close to achieving his goal. And, and Esther is in a unique position in this kingdom where he can play a role in attempting to, 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 to put an end to this thing, but yet it presented to her a great risk because it would have cost her her life, possibly. So she was, if you would, a rolling of dice in the sense that she knew she would go in there Try and intercept, talk to the king, but according to the law, and I'm not going to go into much details on this, her moves could have possibly cost her her life. But she did it anyway. So Esther chapter 4. Let me start in verse 12. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, um, he sent back his answer. Do not think, this is Mordecai is Esther's uncle for new ones, who was out and had found out what was about to happen and um, really consulted her, his nephew to say, hey, let me go back in Swahili. Give me, let me, you want a little uh, lesson here in, 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 in language? In Swahili, the, this, when you're referring in, in a statement like this, there would be no he or she. It will be just a human, right? And so, so sometimes in your head you get stuck. I meant, I meant to say his niece not her nephew. <laughs> so don't laugh at me unless you speak three or four languages. <laughs> if you don't, keep quiet and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so he, he reaches out to his niece and he tells her, we need you. We need you to do something. We know it's going to cost you. We know this is a tall order, but 
we need you to do something about this because all of us are as good as dead. You know it's already been written and, and we need you to do something. So Esther responds to, his, uh, to her uncle. She says, uh, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back an answer. Do not think that because you, and the, you are in the king's house, you alone and all the Jews, of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent... This time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have, been, you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent out the reply to Mordecai, and he says, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. For do not eat or drink for three days and night, and, do, uh, um, uh, night, and, and, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it's against the law, and, I will and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. I want you to jump over to, uh, flip over to verse 5. I'm going to skip just a couple of verses there. To chapter 5, rather. Chapter 5. I'm going on to the next chapter. So it says that on the third day, uh, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on the royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. Then he saw Queen Esther standing in, in the court and he placed and he was pleased with her, and he held out his golden scepter that is in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the revelation of your word. You said, God, that uh, the entrance of your word brings life. And God, today we open our hearts to the working of your spirit, O oh God, to make the word alive in us, oh God. Not just the, uh, those who hear the word, but Lord, make us do us also of your word. Help me, Father, by your anointing that I may not even add to it, but just receive as you, you provide, as you deposit by your spirit today. I thank you, I praise you, and I honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. The se uh, uh, my, part, my second part on this message, and I'm going to call it for such a time as this. Um, uh, and uh, Mordecai's passion in this moment was just so, so awesome to look at. And um, I would have to imagine that he was absolutely, probably afraid, just because he's human, thinking the things are going to... But, but he also was a man of faith. He was also a man of faith. He believed that if they stood and believed God together and did something that what seemed like already like a done deal can be reversed in God's presence. It was a done deal. The law had been passed. 535 to nothing in the house chamber. 100% in the senate. President assigned it. It's a day waiting for it to be enacted. It was a done deal. I mean, have you ever seen, wouldn't that be crazy to see the Democrats and the Republicans vote for anything 100% in both chambers and the president is for it? We don't live in those times. 
any vote that gets brought forward, you will know exactly. If you have a D or a R, you know exactly how everything is going to be voted for. We don't see things. But this was in total unity. This was a, a done deal. Sometimes you and I have things in our lives that are not favorable to us. We don't like it. We see, and it seems like, the last chapter has already been written. And in all reality, the last chapter maybe is already written. But the last chapter, God writes even on the outward cover, if the last chapter is written. God can take the things that are already impossible, and I'm not talking about things that have a possibility. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You might have gone to the doctor and gotten an op a report and they looked at you and said, well, I'm giving you three months. This is a done deal. But how many know that that could be true according to the facts and what is going on, but God is able to turn it around and say, this is not a done deal. You might have filed bankruptcy twice or three times and thought, man, I would die poor, I'll leave nothing for my children. But with God, all things are possible. God is able to do more in one minute than we can do in a lifetime. I want to encourage you this morning as we go on, maybe you, if you're facing a situation that seems like the last chapter has been written, just as it was for the Jews in this time of Esther, and you're worried that, things, that it's already been defined, but I want to tell you, if you put your trust in God and not allow the enemy to distract you, God can reverse what the enemy had intended for evil and turn it around for your good. He can take things that were meant to destroy you and use them to bless you. And you'll see next week, I'll go deeper into chapter 5, and this and what I'm actually excited to share about next week because I believe we are on to good times. We are living in good times. If you watch the news, if you read, if you got on Facebook or Instagram, whatever, before, Instagram's not as bad as Facebook when it comes to negativity and people showing off whose idea is better than the other one. But I promise you, if you just open the news even on your tablet right now, probably the first five things are not really good things. I bet you, if there is a good news out there, and I'm not advocating for people not to be informed, but how many know we can become such, so used to receiving negative, 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 that that's all the food we digest, and we're ingesting, we're feeding our minds, we're feeding our hearts with words of negativity, words of division, words of fighting, words of hopelessness, that you start, start believing that everything is just about to break and there is no good on earth. You keep feeding your soul negativity. Keep hanging around people that are always speaking the wrong things. You keep hanging around that, and, and I'll tell you exactly the outcome of your life later. You're going to lose happiness. You're going to lose joy. You're going to lose your peace. You're going to go crazy, and you're going to live as a hopeless person and think that there is no hope. 
That's what the Bible says. The man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have to counterbalance the information that we allow into our minds. We have to counterbalance the, the, the information that's coming and shaping how we live. There are so many people in the days that we're living in that are dealing with depression and also thoughts of suicide, all sorts of things that are battles of the mind. Yet in the history of the world, we have never lived in such peaceful times. Believe it or not, even though we have mass shootings and all this, we have never lived in better times. In terms of prosperity and peace and all that, people have a greater understanding of trying to do good than ever. But yet more people are stressed out. They lose their sleep overnight because we are feeding off of the negativity that's perpetuated in the 24-7 news cycle and we are going farther and farther and farther away from the Word of God. And it's the one thing that we need to contend for sometimes. Not just, uh, not just like, oh, the pastor said, let's read your Bible. Or the Sunday school teacher said, read your Bible, pray every day. And that's so true. But we're not reading the word. We are not, we are not counterbalancing information. And so there's a disproportionate um, um, weight in our brain, in our mind, if you would. And yet, the gospel is the hope that we have. The word of the Lord will counterattack everything, any weapon that is wedged against you. The word of God will bring peace through revelation. The spirit of God will awaken the word inside of you if we were to be people of the word. I want to declare to you that we live in good times. Oh boy, some people think, I don't know what you drank this morning. I did coffee, one and a half cups. The second cup is still empty. It's halfway full. I'm going to maybe tackle it after this. But it's easy to lose the joy of the Lord today because we are preoccupied with what Satan wants us exactly to be preoccupied with. You and I are not alive today by accident. It wasn't a matter of chance that we showed up. The probability even scientifically of just you being conceived is a miracle. And surviving through the ages and living at this time, just like Esther, we have been called to the history of the world for such a time as this. You and I were created for this generation, and we are part of God's plan for this generation. There are generations that went before us. They did their work for the kingdom. They left their heritage. For 2,000 years since Christ, the message of the gospel has remained alive because each generation has taken the responsibility of their call. We're not called for tomorrow. We're not called for yesterday. We are called to this kingdom for such a time as this. If we start walking with that knowledge and that understanding in our minds, realizing that when I wake up in the morning, when I go to work every morning, it is not mindlessly just to stuck up my phone case so that one day I can retire good is that no, every day that I have that I'm waking and breathing, every day that I live, it's got purpose written all over it because God's allowed me to be alive now for a reason and I'm a, I'm a person of purpose. If you remind that, take, look at the mirror in the morning when you just feel like and just say, you got purpose all over you. 
I'm alive today because God's got a purpose in my life. Lord, help me to do something that has internal significance today. Help me to do... We keep that perspective. You would find that certain things that would drive you crazy in a day would be like... Certain people that you walk by in the office that make give you those feelings. Oh yeah, don't pretend you know what I'm talking about. But you'll be able to breeze through those things easily because you are looking beyond the surface. You're seeing exactly what's going on. It's not even the people that are our enemy. This important truth we must understand. And I, and I want to just point out three things easily this morning. One important thing that we must understand when we go about our lives is that we have an enemy, yeah. Satan, who hates humanity. Look at your neighbor and say, Satan hates you. He really, really hates you. <coughs> Satan hates humanity. As surely as there was a conspiracy to destroy the national entity of the Jews throughout the ancient Persian Empire at that time, Satan will do whatever he, ta- he can within his power, within to destroy any human. There we go. You see, he hates me too. He doesn't want me to talk about it and he's messing with my microphone. But, but, but he, the Satan will stop at nothing. I destroy. First of all, let me, let me, before I go any further, let me give you a few reasons why he hates you. Genesis chapter 1. God creates everything. And he says it's, it's good. He says, he, you know, like, who goes and says, let there be light, and something that never existed. The whole galaxy... <laughs> And he's not super impressed by his work. Like sometimes, if you ever, when you accomplish something, you know, like, well, I repaired a window. I thought, I didn't bring it, so I repaired it. Did you see what I did? You know, we get sometimes very impressed. Be be around guys, and when they finish something, (laughs) did you see what I built? No help whatsoever. I got this built for my wife, right? And you feel pretty accomplished. God does, let there be, and, and the galaxy, Shows up. And he doesn't say like, oh, that was awesome. He says, no, that was good. But on the sixth day, he says, God creates. He says, and the Lord God, I think we pick up that on chapter 1, verse 26. Formed man out of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And so God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. He created a male and female. And you know what God did when he created humans? He says, this is very good. This is absolutely awesome. The only thing he put a double adjective on is our creation. And he created us in his image. Satan was there when you and I were not. And every time he sees you walking around... He sees the image of God and it makes him mad. And especially when you start pursuing your maker. Because life kind of disfigures us and the negativity of this world and the bad experiences and things that we did not wish. Generational cast. All these things create some bends. We are injured and we are dented in many times. But still that image of God is there. 
like a piece of art that's been sitting in somewhere dirty for years, unappreciated. You start dusting it and cleaning it up, and you find out, wow, it's a beautiful artwork that's worth millions and millions of dollars when people find it. We are God masterpiece. And we are marred by a lot of things that this life brings. And sometimes that beauty is not realized until we come to the knowledge of Christ. And when we start pursuing that restoration of our maker, and that's what salvation is, and restoration process is in God, he even gets madder and madder and madder. Because now, not only have you discovered that you are created in his image, you've discovered that he loves you. You've discovered that you can be restored. you discover that you can have eternity. you discover that God's putting his spirit in you, and now you can start causing damage to the kingdom of hell when you realize who you are as a child of God, and now he becomes even madder. He hates you. He's envious of you. He's jealous because you're created in God's image. Every time he sees you, he sees God. And he's mad. He hates you because he knows that you have eternal destiny that he does not. Do you know the Bible already says what his, the end would be? It already says that everything will be destroyed. But those people who know the Lord, those people who have accepted Christ, those people who know Jesus Christ. He came and died for us, and we've accepted him as our Savior. We will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Can I let that sink in for a moment? We have a hope. We have a hope of eternity. We live with a hope. We live in the same broken world with everybody else. But we have something inside of us, a fire, that when we accepted Jesus in our lives, he deposited his spirit in us. And that spirit reminds us, the Bible says, every time that we are children of God, and so we walk with hope. Things are going rough. I cannot explain what's going on in my life, but I'm not losing hope because there's a spirit of God in me that says, keep on believing, keep on fighting, just take the next step. If you cannot ride, like my thinking Luther King said, if you cannot run, walk. If you cannot walk, crawl. You know, and just because there is something hopeful inside of you, and it's a spirit of God in you. That's why in the first generation Christians after Christ, they were getting murdered, and they knew they would actually die physically if they continued to preach the gospel. But they still did it anyway. All the 12 apostles of the church early, all of them were literally murdered. But they kept speaking about this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They were inflicted harm over and over again. And all they would have to do is just quit and feed in. But they had something that had touched them inside that they knew was bigger. And they knew that even this life has an end. Whether it ends in 50 years or it ends in two years, the most important thing is that hope that we have in the life after that never ends. And so they lived with eternal perspective. And our enemy, the adversary, our adversary, Satan, is going around keeping us distracted. If he wouldn't have attacked your health, he could attack your family. If he doesn't attack your family, he would attack your hope. He'll attack your peace, anything, so you can lose focus and allow your life to be miserable when it doesn't have to be. When you could be conquering. You could be wrecking havoc. You could be doing things that leave eternal value everywhere you go. 
And some of the things that God's given us the ability to is things that we take so lightly sometimes and don't realize how powerful it is because of how simple sometimes it is. A simple thing as, as leading someone to Jesus or paving a way to help them find Christ. Do you know that they've done a lot of research and found that most people come to Christ at a worship service like this? How many, just by a show of hands, I'm just going to try here. This is not scientific research, it's just my own. How many, when you rededicated or when you came to Christ, is because someone invited you to church and, you are, and then God started touching your life and you started following him? Stretch it higher so I can see. Uh, no, higher. Look around, look around, look around, look around. More than half, a lot of people, a lot of people. And there's an assault oftentimes on church, or, or, or on the church. I've even met believers as I can, I can worship God from anywhere. I don't have to go to church. True, you can worship God in your church. You can worship God on your deck. You can worship God anywhere. But the church is God's instrument that he uses. And more people come to Christ and are disciples through relationships through the local church. And so Satan wants to attack that family, if you would, because he knows that when we are disciplining that, we grow and grow and grow. I had a moment like that in my life, and it changed my life forever. I had not been in church. My family was not very... I would say we were CEO Christians, my parents were. CEO, like Christian... Christmas and Easter only type of people. And uh, I remember in my teenage years, there's a time I'd gone for years without stepping foot in the church. And a lot of it was because there was just a lot of religion that never really spoke to me in my life right there. But somehow, some way, I thank God. Because one day, out of the middle of nowhere, playing basketball with a bunch of friends, and one guy called Jeff says, hey, I, I got to call it off right now. I'm going to a cell group. A cell what? Cell group. It just sounded interesting to me. Cell sounded like, it's like a, you're going to a jail cell or something like that. And, and there's a group there. It's like, so I kind of won and out of just curiosity, I'm thinking, yeah, you're going to let me know. What is this cell group you guys are talking about? And, well, I was so curious because I did not want to lose out on anything that sounded even remotely fun. I was a party animal. <laughs> and I would fall, and I found out it was a neighborhood group that met, like a small group. And they all met in the neighborhood, and they all just got together, and it was just real people, ordinary people. They got together and they prayed, they read the word, and they just talked about life and the application of the word in the life. There wasn't a big lecture about uh, or a big biblical teaching. It was just living out your Christ Christian life together. And it was on Thursday nights. And the next Thursday night. And the next Thursday night. And somehow I, I really enjoyed it. And I kept coming back. And I kept coming back. So these guys have become my friends, but I had not really made a commitment for Christ yet, but I was starting to read my Bible, starting to discover, but it did something. I became friends with these people, and no one ever put any pressure on me or anything. One time they had a picnic as a group, 
And like I said, I loved anything that was fun. I wanted to be a part of it. So I, I went to the picnic. Oh, we had so much fun. And then when everybody was saying goodbye, they were like, hey, see you tomorrow at church. It was on Saturday night. I thought, huh, I haven't done one of those for a while. <laughs> and I wasn't like, see you tomorrow at church. Then I went. I went to church. And it wasn't what I'd grown up with. It was more like our church. And I had not been exposed to that at all. And I'm looking at the people around me and I'm thinking, how long has this been here? It's like, it's a, do they do this every Sunday? It was meeting, it was like, it wasn't, a, we, we didn't have, they didn't have a building at the time. We were meeting at a soccer stadium. Thousands of people, when they came in, the music was lively, the, the worship was strong, people were just sincere, the prayers were just heartfelt. And I grew up in a mainstream, um, traditional, Protestant church, and so it was just, you could predict by what date it is, what you're going to read. And I promise, I kid you not, my sister Josephine, she would sit down in the pew and she had it all memorized. Like, yep, she would do it just before the pastor would say anything, because she had it all memorized. And, I, and that day, I cannot even tell you what the pastor spoke about. And I remember at the end, and he was praying, and he started giving an invitation. And saying, you know, and people came down from the bleachers, came down to the front. And they were giving their hearts to Jesus, rededicating their hearts to Jesus. And my heart is pounding. I know that I need to do something. I need to make a decision for Christ. But I had a problem inside of me, because my buddy Jeff, who was the one who introduced me to small group, his life, if I would, Christian life was like this. A poor illustration, but let me tell you what it is. He had one foot in the Lord and one foot in the world. I was his friend. Oh, Jish, I hope Jeff is not watching this online. You know, well, 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 we've got to not raise names these days. But anyway, if he does, God bless you, Jeff. <laughs> he was not the best example of a Christian for me. His dad thought he was the greatest kid in the world, and I knew what he did after small group. I knew what he did when his dad would travel for work, and he was so trusted. Hey, I knew a lot of things. His dad would pay me a lot of money to tell him. In my heart, I kept telling myself, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I'm ready. Because when I, when I really decide to get saved, when I really surrender my life to Jesus, I want to go all the way, and I don't want to live in between. And that also tells how our testimony can have such an impact on the people outside of this life. If, our, if the way we live out our lives is not consistent with who we say we are. Sometimes he can actually keep more people from Christ than we realize. It's not like people expect perfection out of us, but at least they know authenticity when they see one. They can smell plastic from far. Jesus is not even calling us to be perfect people. He's calling us to be sincere people. He's calling us to be people that are honest, that, we, that the Christianity is not something we do. 
is who we are. And Jeff really did put a barrier. But that day, something happened. And for the first time, I would say, in my life, I ever really heard the voice of God speak to me. I did not understand that that was the voice of God. Now I do. It was in the moment I heard this pastor is praying, about to pray for people, and they just kept saying, well, I feel like there's still one person there that needs to calm down. And he would not let go. I don't remember what he preached about, but I remember that moment. And I knew he was talking at me. And that moment, the voice that came so clearly is that Jeff doesn't really define. I'm, I'm putting my eternity on him. I don't have to answer to anyone. And then the second thing was that I am really, really underestimated God. That I feel like I can get my life together first and be ready. And God says, no, no, no. You come to me and I'll make your life right. It's not the other way around. And I, I don't know how fast I went down there, and my life has never been the same. It changed, it altered the direction of my life. And I began to learn more of the Lord. And everything started changing. And I understood about God's plan with the local church. And I started serving there. And, 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 and I could tell you story after story. When I look back and I think, wow, God had a hand in my life long before I even knew his voice. And so this, that statement, it was not true to me only. That statement applies to you completely. He has a plan for your life. He's had his hand upon your life. He still has a hand upon your life. And even before you knew him, even when you have been unfaithful, he is faithful. He remained a faithful tower. And we have an enemy that wants to destroy. Jesus tells us that in John 10, 10, he says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So there's a constant fight. And the Lord says that in this war, don't just look at the surface of what's going on. That there is, there is more spiritual stuff going on than you realize. Jesus came, the second, you know, I told you the first thing. I already told you the second thing. If you're writing notes, it's just that Jesus is the Redeemer. Esther really was playing Jesus' part here in this story. He, she was literally, figuratively putting her life on the line for the Jews. And that ushered in God's favor over her life. And the people were spared. And history was turned that day. And, um, and the people were not killed. They survived. But you know what Satan was after? Satan was after the heritage. He was after the, he, the, the, he was after the Messiah not ever coming. Because it was through that lineage uh, of the Jewish way that, that Jesus would ultimately come. And Satan would look at it and, uh, and, and, and want to destroy, destroy it before it even began. That's what I'm trying to say here. It is so awesome to me, and sometimes almost scary in the same sense, that God has chosen you and I to be a part of what he's doing through for humanity. You think about that. Mordecai tells Esther, Esther, I want you to hear me, young lady. 
I know you're living in the palace and you're living a good life, comfortable. But if you remain silent at this time, I'm going to tell you this. I have a feeling that's, how you, that's the tone he was bringing. That deliverance for the Jews will come from another place, but you and your father's household will perish. Mordecai is telling Esther that God is not out of options. But you have been set in the kingdom for such a time as this. You know what that is telling us? That winning souls for the kingdom is not a duty as much as it is a privilege. Because sometimes you get a lot of messages that are preaching, oh, you got to go evangelize, go tell people about Jesus, invite your neighbor, pray for your family, pray for the people, uh, bring them to church so maybe they can get an opportunity to meet Christ. And we feel a sense of duty even though it's a commanded. But the, if we start switching the way we look at things, that it is a privilege that the Lord has given us to play a role in eternity, we start thinking differently. All of a sudden, Esther's security, that her life was still fine. If the Jews would have been dead, she, would have, she already had a ticket. She would have been covered from that. But Haman was thinking, no, no, no. You need to look beyond the surface. There is more to this story than what appears on the surface. That God is still in control and he will find a way. Why is God giving us that privilege, if you would? Of being a part of bringing people into the kingdom. Because God is looking at eternity. Do you know everything, all the achievement, everything we ever have on earth, one day will end. So I worked as a financial planner for years. I've worked with people planning finances for generations to come. And what I've seen sometimes, there's a certain point in life that, that there's a switch that happens and you realize they don't even care about it that much. There's some people that it's everything, but there's some people, there's something about life, there's a point in life that something switches. And the value in that becomes very little. Because nothing we have on earth can we take to the other side. When we depart, we come just as simply and as humbly as we entered. Our entry into this world is very humbling. And so is our exit. But when we go one day and face Jesus, there's something that we see through Revelation on how that end, that day will look like for us. And the words that Jesus said. <laughs> well done. Yes, yes. The good and faithful servant. Welcome into the joy of the kingdom. Welcome into the joy of the kingdom. You know what the joy of the kingdom is? It's the only thing that you and I have the ability to do. Because the only thing we can take to the other side is the souls of other men. That we played a role in our time on earth. 
to helping them find a path to Christ and therefore they can enter the kingdom for eternity. And Jesus will look and say, wow, that little kid that you spent so much time with, investing with, playing with, getting rolling down on the ground to just have them at least understand the love of God. That little kid is here, not just him. That little kid grew up to be an evangelist at their time and brought millions and millions of people to heaven because of the work you did in that room back there one day. The work you did when you invited that stranger out and said, come to church with me. And they found, they entered the kingdom. And you look back and Jesus will be able to help see the influence that our lives had on earth in bringing souls to heaven. Because everything we have on earth will live on earth. But the souls that we influence or play even a part in helping them come to Christ... That is the joy of the kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome. Enter into the joy of the kingdom. Woo. For if you remain silent at this time, Haman says, relief and deliverance for the joyous will come through another source. And make no mistake that there will be regret. If you don't, there will be regret. But who knows? Come on, say that with me. Who knows? Who knows? That you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows that you live in Nebraska for such a time as this. Who knows that you live in Lincoln for such a time. A time as this. Ever wonder about God? Sometimes I drive through Lincoln and say, what in the world am I doing here? But I know that thing is that I have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. You have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. God has given you and I the privilege. Did I say that again? The privilege of participating into his greater plan of redemption of mankind. And one day if we are faithful, if we don't get too comfortable in the king's palace, and we realize that I've been set at such a time as this, and we start reaching out to people. And let me just say, get people to church. Because 75% of people get saved at church. It always makes me cringe when I hear Christians say, I don't need to go to church. He says, that's a very selfish thing. Because I know if you, I wasn't invited to church, very likely I would have not been the pastor I'm preaching. I never set out to be one. But someone invited me through their lives. And I met Jesus. And I grew. And my life has never been the same. It changed the direction, altered the direction of my life. So when the church, the church is being put down, you need to stand strong and say, no, that's part of God's plan. And I'm part of that. I'm part of the family of God. And let me tell you, God's doing something. Don't allow your mind to play games with you. It is not upon you to save souls. It's God's work. And God wants everyone to be saved. Just as Satan wants everyone to destroy it, and he hates everyone. Satan hates everyone. But God loves everyone.
Father God, He showed His love by sending His Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. The opposite of what Satan wants to do is what God wants to do. He hates you, Satan does, but God loves you. He hates people, but God loves people. And Jesus is the only way. And you and I have the privilege in these times that we are living in to shine the light of Jesus everywhere we go. And that, my friends, is not a duty. Start seeing it as a privilege, and there will be so much joy in sharing Jesus with people. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.